Um, for example, uh, when Laura moved to Dallas, she purchased a desk uh, from Ikea. And if you know anything about Ikea, you know you have to put the entire thing together, like everything. Nothing comes assembled. It's all up to you. So me, being the handyman that I am, I, uh, I decided I would do this for my then girlfriend, impress her with my ability, and that didn't happen. Um, instead, what happened was I put the desk together, and you could make it face one way or the other, and by the time I was done, it faced both ways. Um, so that didn't work out so well. And then fast forward to when we were expecting Colson's birth and uh, putting the crib together with uh, Ben, actually, and uh, we were going and going and going, and suddenly we realized we'd messed up. And so we had to backtrack back to the part where we messed up, and then we could continue moving forward. Um, there have been many, many more times than just that when I've messed up and putting something together. But it reminds me of a simple truth, uh, a simple truth that you can probably relate to, and that's that I need direction. I need direction. Now, usually the direction I need isn't as simple as simply following a manual for putting something together. Usually the direction is for something much bigger, something much more important, something that weighs on me much more than that. It might have been coming up with what was going to happen after high school. It might have been uh, needing direction when I met a girl who was moving to South Dakota and I was moving to Texas. I needed direction when I had to make a choice about what to do after seminary. I needed uh, direction and, and just guidance and encouragement and a whole lot of other stuff when Laura told me she was pregnant and to know how to be a dad. I needed direction when Laura was whisked into an operating room uh, after being in labor for 11 hours, whisked away because something wasn't right, going to the operating room for an emergency C-section. I'm just left standing there. Uh, my wife's gone. They gave me a pack of scrubs. I, I put them on the best I could. I needed direction then. I needed direction when I woke up today, and I'm going to need direction when I wake up tomorrow too. See, direction tells us uh, where we're going. It gives us a plan. It tells us where we're headed. We want that for the big things, but we also need it for the not-so-big things in life. Uh, many people enjoy watching mysteries, but few of us enjoy actually living them out. We don't like it when we don't know what to do or what's going to happen. We want to know that everything will be okay, and even if we know it won't be okay, we at least want to know what life will be like even though it's not okay. And we find that we need direction. We need direction. doesn't matter if you're one of those people who just loves the thrill of adventure and you can bounce from one thing to the other really quickly and, and, and you can go with the flow, or if you prefer something to be a, a life to be more regimented and, and, and follow more of a plan, an agenda. Regardless of that part of your personality, there are some things when we really just want to know what to do or where to go, or how to do it, maybe even why is this happening. And the good news today is that Jesus provides that direction. Jesus provides direction. In fact, I'd say it's even a little bit better than that. Jesus is the direction. Jesus is the direction. We're going to look at one of the stories in the Bible today that you've probably heard before. If you grew up in Sunday school, you probably went over it year after year after year. Um, and as an adult, you're probably familiar with it too. We're going to talk about Peter getting out of the boat. 
Um, but I don't want us to see this as a call to get out of a metaphorical boat. I want us to see this as a picture of discipleship, a picture of what it means to follow Jesus, a picture of what it means to grow closer and closer and closer to him. You see, this takes place just after Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, he had a few fish, a few loaves of bread, and he fed 5,000 men, many more than that if you count the women and the children. And after that happened, Jesus told the disciples to go get in the boat, go across the way, and he would join them later after he sent the crowds away and went up on a mountain to pray. And that's where our story picks up this morning. Or in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night is probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and that's important because if that's the time, it's going to be dark outside, and it's going to be stormy. So in other words, it was a dark and stormy night, perfect setup for a ghost story. It was a dark and stormy night, and so uh, Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, which is also going to be important in just a second. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And we said it makes sense because of the setting. It made sense that they would think that. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. The disciples thought he was a ghost. Jesus heard that and he says, don't worry, it is I, it's me. Literally, if we translate this, he says, I am. I am. And that would have triggered something for the disciples. They're like, wait a minute, I am. I know that from my Jewish studies. I know that. I know that from the Old Testament. I am is important. And maybe for you, it's starting to trigger something too, that Jesus said, I am. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. This is another place where the translation makes it sound more like a question than a statement, but in the original language, it would have been more like a statement. Lord, since it is you, since it is you, Jesus, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to do what you are doing. And this sounds kind of outrageous. It sounds kind of crazy that Peter would think he can turn to Jesus and say, command me to come to you on the water, just like you're doing it. But in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus had told the disciples to go perform miracles in his name. He had given them that ability. And so Peter was just reflecting on his past with Jesus to go forward to his future with Jesus. It actually shows an immense amount of faith in Jesus based on what he had done previously. You see, faith is always based on what God has done in the past. Faith is always based on what God has done in the past, if you're bringing somebody to faith, you talk about what's God, what God has done for them. And if it's somebody who already has faith, you think back to where God has been faithful here and here and here and here. And you use that to leverage yourself to have faith in the future. Faith is always based on what God has done in the past, but it's always focused on the future. So based on his experience with Jesus in the past, Peter was willing to get out of the boat. And so Jesus said, come. 
And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter went, he actually walked on the water. And that is really incredible. It's something I'm willing to bet you've never seen. There's a video out there on Facebook right now of somebody running on water, but just running across ice. It's not that impressive. It's a lot easier to do it that way. But we haven't seen people walk on water. Only Peter and Jesus in all of recorded history have walked on water. So Peter went, he walked on the water. But walking on the water didn't prove anything about Peter. We need to remember that. It proved everything about Jesus. It proved everything about Jesus. Peter didn't walk on the water because of Peter. He walked on the water because Jesus made it possible. He walked on the water because Jesus made it possible. The only way Peter can walk on water is if Jesus has power over the sea. The only way this story can take place is if Jesus has power over the sea. It sounds incredible. It sounds maybe even a little outlandish. In Matthew, we see all these stories detailed of Jesus working miracles and and doing things. Each one sounds a little more far-fetched than the last. So how in the world could we believe these things? Well, Matthew, let's think about him for a second. Matthew identifies himself as a tax collector. That means he would have been detail-oriented. He would have been a numbers guy. Um, So that's important. Uh, One of the stories he tells is when Matthew invited him over to his house for dinner. He just says, invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. But in the other Gospels, when we see that same story, they don't say Matthew, the tax collector, invited him to dinner. They say Levi invited him over for a banquet, for a feast, So Matthew's being very honest and humble about who he is, uh, but he's also very numbers-oriented, very detail-driven. And so if that's the kind of guy Matthew is, we can probably trust that this is a real occurrence, that he's trying to tell us exactly the way it happened. So pretty good reason to believe that. But then also, uh, we realize that Matthew's the only one that includes this story in the gospel. The other gospel writers don't mention anything about Peter walking on water. So why might that be? Well, one, it proves that he's not a ghost because he mentioned that they thought he was a ghost. And if Jesus is going to, in a couple of verses, reach down and take his hand and save him, can't be a ghost. And two, it also teaches us something about Christ and our relationship with him and our path toward discipleship. And we'll see that as the story continues. So Peter's out there walking on the water, but seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith. The problem wasn't no faith, The problem was little faith, little faith. The grand moment wasn't when Jesus was going to um, save him. It was when Jesus invited him and got him to come into the water in the first place. Because remember, the storm is still going on. The waves are still big. The sea is still rough. But as long as Peter keeps going, he's okay. As long as Peter keeps going toward Jesus, he is okay. Okay, if he is a growing faith, taking one step after the next, he is okay. But he had little faith. 
He had little faith. He stopped going. Baseball season opened up this week. That's about all I know about baseball. But um, I could almost guarantee that every single one of those players, even these ones we've recently heard about getting millions and millions of dollars to play for various teams, when they get out there and it comes down to just them and the ball, they think back to Little League or maybe even playing ball with dad or grandpa or someone in the yard. And they think, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Don't get distracted by everything else going on around you. Don't get distracted by who's in the stands, by who's in the outfield. Keep your eye on the ball. Because if you get distracted, you're going to miss it. Keep your eye on the ball. Have complete focus. Peter needed to stay focused on Jesus. Peter needed to stay focused on Jesus. He needed to keep going to Jesus. Think about this. He was safe in the middle of a stormy sea, a storm that was so bad that it frightened the disciples on the boat. Now, Peter's outside of the boat in a stormy sea, and he's perfectly safe as long as he keeps going to Jesus. But then he starts to sink. He starts to sink. He focused on what was going on around him and lost track of what Christ was doing through him. He focused on what was going on around him and lost track of what Christ was doing through him. He was safe until he stopped going. Perfectly safe until he stopped going. Jesus had come to me. He did. He was fine. He stopped and he sank. He focused on what was going on around him and lost track of what Christ was doing through him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? We can't tell exactly the tone Jesus said that in just from the text, but I would imagine it's not to put Peter down. Sure, it's a rebuke, but I think it's focused more on what he's missing out on. I think it's, he's saying there's something so much better. He's saying, Peter, you've forgotten the past. You've forgotten what I've done for you. You're not focused on what I will do for you. You're focused on the sea. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, do you remember that first step out of the boat? Do you remember that first step out of the boat and then that second one? And then that that third one, remember how I brought you this far? Why would you doubt me now? Why would you think I can't get you even farther? And all the while this is going, the storm is continuing to rage. Because when we're in these situations, it's not about Jesus or or God making the world stop around us. Because the world around us does all sorts of things we don't like. It's not fair. It's not fun. There are people who make it difficult There are people we love who get taken away. There's just so much going on in the world that doesn't seem fair or right. It's a storm around us. But in the midst of that, Jesus calls us to faith. He calls us to faith. The direction Peter needed was Jesus. He didn't need to look at all the other stuff. That was happening around him. He didn't have to do that to make it happen. It was already going on whether he was focused on Jesus or not. But when Peter was at peace, when Peter wasn't sinking, he was focused on Jesus. 
The direction Peter needed was Jesus. The direction we need is Jesus. And that's because he's God's son. If our biggest problem is separation from God, the greatest solution is his son. If our biggest problem is separation from God, the greatest solution is his son. That's what all of this was for. It wasn't about the properties of water and and physics and whether or not a human could actually walk across the water. Nothing to do with that. Jesus was demonstrating that if the biggest problem is separation from God, the greatest solution is him. Jesus was showing the disciples that he was God's son. That's why it was so important that Jesus walked on water. That's why it was so incredible that he was able to invite Peter to come. And that's why the disciples had this response as this story finishes. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, You are certainly God's son. You are certainly God's son. Truly, you are God's son. Because all through the Old Testament, God is the one who controls the water. They knew passages. They knew passages like Psalm 89, verses 5 through 9, where it says, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable, comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like you, Almighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. They knew psalms like that and and many other times in the psalms. They knew about Job commenting on God's power over the sea, about Jonah and, and God's power over the sea, about the Red Sea with Moses, and again, when Joshua was leading the Israelites. They knew that God was the one who controlled the waters. This man just did that. Surely he must be the son of God. The only one who has ever been able to control the sea is God. Jesus has done miracle after miracle after miracle. It's recorded in Matthew so that he can tell the Jewish people this truly is the Messiah. But now he shows his disciples he truly is the Son of God. He truly is the Son of God. And the one thing the Son of God wanted from Peter was for him to keep coming to him. But did you notice that even when he failed, Jesus still heard his cry for help. He reached out, he saved him. What a merciful savior. What a merciful savior. Peter didn't do the one thing he needed to do to stay on top of the water. And Jesus still heard his cry for help. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God, but he's also the merciful savior. Back to you and me. We said, I need direction. We said, we need direction. And then we said that Jesus is the direction. If you've ever had to stop and ask for directions, or if you've ever thought about stopping and asking for directions, there is probably only one thing you did once you received them. You followed them. You didn't say, well, that sounds good. Give me another five to 10 minutes to try this out on my own. Then I'll follow that. 
No, you followed them. You pursued them. When you have direction, you follow it. You pursue it. Once you come to know Jesus, we are to pursue him. Keep going to him. We remember where we were, remember where we are, remember where we've come, and based on that history, we continue to have faith in him. Not because the Bible says so, not because your mother told you so, not because your spouse is hounding you to to do this and do this and do this, not because some preacher said so. You pursue him, you keep going to him because he is the son of God. He is the son of God. We can understand the same things that these disciples understood. A man who has power over the water like this must be the son of God. Therefore, he can provide the direction that I need. He can provide the direction that you need. Jesus is the direction the world needs. And even if life gets tricky, even if you start to realize that all around you is sin and despair, and you know that life's not fair, you keep going. You keep going to Jesus. You remember the first step you took. You remember that second step you took. You remember that third step you took. And you don't hesitate to take the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth because you keep going to Jesus. You keep going to Jesus. You keep going to Jesus. The disciples were amazed that they were watching Peter walk on water. What if that was our response when we encountered people who decided to keep going? What if we were amazed? What if we took the time, paused long enough to appreciate what's happening and be amazed? What if, like the disciples, when it was all said and done, we said, truly, you are God's son. How incredible that you would do this. What if we said that and and lived like we believed it? Peter had Jesus right there to say, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And then he questioned him when he stopped. In this age, we call it the church age, the, the church is supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. What if we were the people that said, keep going, keep going, keep going? What if we were the people that said, hey, why did you stop there? Why did you stop trusting there? Why don't we we keep going and and keep going and keep going? We're supposed to encourage one another to do just that. What if we cheered one another on? What if we were on that boat watching? Would we have been yelling, keep going, Peter. You go, go to Jesus, go, Peter. What if instead of being comfortable and happy and content with where we are right now, happy to just come to church, do our thing, What if we actively cheered for one another to go to Jesus, to keep going, to take the next step and the next one and the next one? See, that's why it's so important to be part of a life group or a Sunday school class. You get to be in a group where people do that. You get to know each other. You get to encourage one another. You get to say, keep going. You hear about the storm in their life and you say, keep going to Jesus. What if we were truly that excited about who Jesus is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world? 
What if we look for ways not to convince and manipulate and conjole people into believing in him, but instead we, we, we cheer them on, we, we, we encourage them to take that first step? What if we looked around us here and we said, you know, I want to encourage you to take your 10th step, your 20th step. I've noticed you haven't really grown in the past couple of years. Take that next step. Take that 30th, that 50th, that 70th step in your walk toward Jesus. Keep going to Jesus. I laid out a challenge for you several weeks ago to tell somebody about Christ by Easter. You've got some great opportunities if you're not comfortable opening them up, opening up that much right now to at least invite them to church. Invite a family you know to come to the egg hunt on Palm Sunday. Invite friends to come on Easter Sunday and then invite them out to whatever your family does. Make it a celebration. Cheer them on. Tell them to keep going and be amazed at what Jesus does. If we did this, if we lived like this, what could possibly stand in our way? What obstacle could we not overcome if we would simply take the opportunities we have each day to tell our moms and dads and sisters and brothers and friends and neighbors and coworkers to keep going to Jesus because he is the son of God? Keep going to him. Keep going with your finances. Keep going with your time. Keep going with your relationships. Keep going with your worries. And if you need somebody to go along with you. I'm here for you. Let's go. Keep going to Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now all of us would have a faith that is grounded in what you've done that gives us great confidence to see what you will do, to trust you for it, to take that next step that we need to take. In whatever area it is that you're speaking to us right now, give us the courage to keep going. You've brought us this far. We have the guarantee of your word that you will see us through to the end. Help us to keep going. And then help us to encourage one another to keep going to not be afraid of being vulnerable with one another because we all know that the storms of life rage around us. We just need someone to remind us to keep going to Jesus. Help us to live this out. Because it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.